This FDNY Pro Podcast is brought to you by the FDNY Foundation and its partners to share experiences from the field, best practices, and lessons learned with first responders. Learn more about our mission and how you can help support New York's bravest at fdnyfoundation.org pro. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. It was a warm, beautiful late summer day when our world changed forever. Two of four hijacked planes were flown into the Twin Towers in New York City, resulting in the eventual collapse of those towers and tremendous loss of lives. As I've done for past 9-11 anniversaries, this episode I'm speaking to an FDNY member who responded to the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. Please welcome back to the podcast, Chief of FDNY EMS, Lillian Bonsignor. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to see you. Nice to see you. So for our listeners who haven't been with us since the very beginning, you uh, may want to go back to Season 2, Episode 23, which is the first time I interviewed Chief Bonsignor. And at the time, you were the chief of the EMS Academy. And we talked about leadership. Yeah, we did. We've come a long way since then. We have come a long way since then because now you're the highest-ranking chief officer of EMS. You're the chief of EMS. Uh, it leads us into today's episode, right, because we're going to talk about what your role was on 9-11, which wasn't in a, a true leadership role because you weren't even an officer at the time. That's correct. And the irony of this session today, our recording session, uh, that our listeners wouldn't know is today is a warm, beautiful, late summer day, right? Yes. Just like 9-11. That's right. Right? I couldn't believe I walked out of the house and I said, oh my gosh, the weather is exactly the same as it was. Right. You know, we're reaching a point where fewer percentage of members are... 9-11 9-11 responders that are still active duty. Yes. So let's rewind 18 years. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's hard, warm day. It's hard to believe it's 18 years. I isn't know, it? isn't it? Yeah. So it's a beautiful, warm day. Mm-hmm. We were both working at the EMS Academy That's right. at that time. I was at CFR, Certified First Responder Training Program for the Firefighters. Right. It's 2001 at this point. You weren't at CFR anymore, were you? Weren't you no, at I the was, academy? Yeah, I was at the main building at the academy. So you were teaching basic EMT courses and EMT refreshers, That's correct. I presume. What were you doing when you find out a plane has gone into the World Trade Center, into the tower? I was actually in a classroom, and mm-hmm. we were you know, practicing skills with uh, one of the EMT refreshers. And we heard a plane had hit the building. We thought automatically uh, that was an accident, mm-hmm. right? So... We all rushed to the television sets to see what was going on, and we were all gathered there together just in disbelief, you know, that, that how could a plane hit this building? It's, it's, it's impossible. Like, what went wrong that this happened? Mm. And very shortly after, a second plane made it very evident that this was not an accident. We had no idea that these buildings were going to fall. I mean, it was the furthest thing from our minds. These these two towers stood for as long as I could remember, and these were, you know, a symbol of, of Manhattan. And nobody ever thought, the people I was with didn't think that this building was going to come down as a result of that first plane hit. We weren't in the same room at the time. We weren't even in the same building. That's correct. Yeah. So what's going on in the building that you're in as people realize that the academy is going to mobilize everybody who's on duty and available? I think this might have been the first uh, glimpse of leadership 
mm-hmm. really kind of kicking in, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we had to now mobilize an entire academy full of students and staff. Right. We had to make sure that the equipment was available. Mm-hmm. We didn't have enough ambulances at the academy to accommodate so many people, so we had to get buses. So the scramble was really about preparation, mm-hmm. you know, about getting our students accounted for, right. uh, in formation, having instructors oversee a certain group of uh, refresher students or other students. And it was, it was a little chaotic, I'm not going to lie. You know, everybody was a little scared. Right. We have a rule at the academy that when you come to training, you have to have your equipment available to you, mm-hmm. right? right? You have to have your tech bag and your, your response, I guess, kit. Right. Uh, available to you for, for things like this. I mean, nobody thought it would be a building falling, but certainly people were running to their cars to get their equipment to come back and be ready. And for our listeners, you know, all of these students are already employed. Yes, they're all certified already. And they're in the classroom setting because it's time to recertify. That's right. Because EMTs and paramedics have to recertify. Every three years. Right. And, um, and so we're doing the same thing over at the yeah. CFR building. The scramble is on. You know what was amazing at that moment? That nobody questioned that we were going. I know, right? Nobody said anything other than, I'll be right back. And everybody was kind of moving in the same direction, you know, as chaotic as it was. Right. So now we're uh, fast forward. I, I can't say that I remember what time it was that all the buses are loaded and... Yeah. We're about to be a caravan of vehicles into right. Manhattan. Do you remember what time it so was? So bo- both towers were still standing yes, by the time were. we were on a road, right? right? Because Tower 1, the, the first tower, went down while, while we, we were en route. We saw that go down from the highway. That's right. So by the time we got down to the scene, the second tower was just coming down. Right, so and we're engulfed by yeah, we're engulfed, Tower 2. Yeah, we're engulfed by the, the debris and the dust. So we, we, you know, it's right around that time frame that we were, uh, we were moving. You know, it, the, what was eerie, right, were the highways, right? Because I remember yes. being in a bus caravan. Yes, and, and, and we, for the, our <laughs> listeners, we were in transit vehicles. Yeah. We were yes. so we in the front of the in, in the front of this line of vehicles are marked vehicles, a couple of marked vehicles. Yeah, with their in lights the, and sirens. In yeah. the back are a couple of ambulances. Right. So we were sandwiched, we were being escorted down on And we're in commandeered transit buses. That's right. And they were commandeered from the jetty, which is at the foot of the the fort. I remember the chief getting out on the highway, yelling at cars to move out of our way. People were just stunned because of the view Mm -hmm. of that tower going down, that first tower going down. People were just stunned on the highway. So we, you know, as we were trying to get down there, it was a little difficult, but we were able to maneuver and when we got down here, we, you know, second tower came down, we got caught up in the dust and the debris of that. We also didn't have really good communication means, right? We didn't no, we didn't. So, <laughs> right, so back then, people were being notified via an alphanumeric pager. Cell phones were still, if you had a personal cell phone, it was like a little brick. Well, the Nextel had just come out, right? So, right, so that's when we found out right. that the Nextel was the only phone that was actually working because when the tower went down that the, the uh, antenna went down so there were no communications right. the only thing that was able to work down there was, was this brand new point-to-point nextel uh phone and nobody really had it you know there were only right. a few people i That's mean because right. we didn't really know what that was it wasn't it wasn't easy to communicate and certainly we didn't go down with uh, radios we didn't expect right. an entire academy to have to be deployed at the same time That's so right. 
we didn't have radios. That's right. Well, the last time the EMS Academy had been mobilized to respond to any major incident prior to 9-11 was 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. So as the debris starts to settle and we realize that we're going to be able to get out of the buses. So unlike some other people, we didn't have to run for cover. Right. We were already in some cover. But you didn't know what was going to happen. What went through your mind as that debris is engulfing I the had, bus? I had no idea. I just needed to be down there, right? Like right. It was kind of like, oh, my God, all of those people in that mm-hmm. building, you know, we need to get down there. Right. You know? So we get outside, and now people are being given assignments. And so what's your assignment? My assignment was, uh, because I was an instructor, and out of our group, we were pretty much the leaders of right. that, right? That's right. So, so my assignment was something called forward triage. So they set up a, a, a triage area in a building that was right at the base of the towers that had fallen. Our job is to triage those people, mm-hmm. you know. So when we got down there, clearly there was nobody to triage. So that unit had turned into a, a, a morgue, and we were at that point started to try to, you know, pull some people out and identify whether they belonged to the fire department or not. You know, whether it's female or male. or We did that for hours. And at one point, somebody comes running in saying, this building is coming down, you have to get out. It was a soldier, right? It was somebody from the Army. You know, it freaked us all out because, right. you know, now everything's going to fall around us. And some of the people in my group had freaked out so badly that they were actually grabbing the, the deceased people and trying to drag them out with us, you know. Mm-hmm. A little while later, they say, no, this building is stable. You know, you could go back in. It was really There's a, a lot of that. It was really a head game, right? Because you don't know whether this building's coming down. I mean, for the first time in my lifetime, two major buildings that I've known my entire life are now in, in just a pile of rubble. I think my first tour lasted about 18 hours straight. That was since they sent me down right, there to, the- to the moment that I was not standing at that table pulling people, you know, trying to identify people. And I had walked up to uh, the staging area that was at the college there. At that point, it was raining, right. and there were big bags, hefty bags of uh, blankets and towels. And I remember being so exhausted that I grabbed a blanket and I laid on the ground outside of the college, and I just, you know, I slept for, I don't know, an hour or so in the rain, covered in a blanket, on, on concrete, without even thinking. Like, I was so tired. My legs weren't even going to hold me up anymore that I've never felt that level of exhaustion, you know. I think it was just because I had no other choice. My body was not going to stay awake much longer. Mm-hmm. Slept for an hour, then went back down there. So you, uh, how do you finally leave? The transportation back to the academy? <sighs> no, there is no transportation. So, so uh, there's nothing, right? The other thing is my family has no idea where I am or because there's no communication. Right. So at, at that point, I had a 14-year-old daughter, and I had a baby. Uh, she was three years old, so I had three and 14. They had no idea where I was, whether I was okay or not. To find out later that they had done a radio roll call, and I didn't have a radio, so I was on the missing in action list because everybody's family started calling the fire department to try to locate us. Right. I got home by hitchhiking on the West Side Highway. I actually hitchhiked all the way back up to the Bronx. I caught one car that was going up. I think it might have been a rescuer or something from another agency. And they drove me up to the Bronx. And by the time I got to the Bronx, 
I got another car that, that drove me uh, directly to my daughter's school, my oldest daughter. I made my way home. I took a shower. I slept for a little while, got back up, and went back down. But at that point, at least my family knew that I was okay. Right. And I did get to sleep for a little while, you know, and then I just couldn't. I just, up you go, okay, I got to go back. As the week unfolds, that first week, mm-hmm. the response becomes a more organized approach. It starts to become more of a, what we're accustomed to dealing with, right? So it's you and your partner, and that's when we start using the gators, right. Right, which are like golf carts. That's probably the first real event where they show their value. We got some use out of them, but they yeah. weren't very quick. No, they weren't very quick. <laughs> but we weren't in a hurry either, were we? Well, I was in a hurry. Well, I, 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 I was in a hurry. <laughs> it, it, was, it was actually, uh, it's, it's, it's funny now. It was not funny back then. Just please understand that, right? right. So, so now they start to put us in these crews, and we, we go down. And again, no radio communication, right? There was no it's very there, limited. So, so what would happen yeah. is now you would sit up out what what they started to call the pit, and right. so you would sit outside of it in a gator with your partner. And when they found somebody or or something that they needed you to come for, they would, you know, they would wave at you. So you had to keep your you had to keep your eyes on them. And I remember the rule being if they hit the air horn three times, right. there was danger, and you had to get out. You had to get out. There was danger of a collapse. So here I am staged between these two buildings. An air horn goes off three times. Mm-hmm. And they start screaming at us that we have to get, get out, out because it's the Liberty Tower now that is coming down, right? Now, understand, I am staged right at the base of this thing between right. that and another building. So right. we're in a gator. So, you know, people start running for their lives. And I start the gator up, and we're driving, and people are running past me, right? So... <laughs> So I decide this this thing is just not going to make it happen for me. <laughs> so we abandon the gator and we start running. Right. You know, I believe I ran to the Brooklyn Bridge at that point. I just kept running, <laughs> you know. But yes, I, I remember running for my life several times during my stay down there. Right. And sometimes something really did come down and sometimes it didn't. Right. You just never knew. Just never knew. So this goes on for how long? How long did you? For me, it's about a month. And then we we had to get the academy back. Right. Kind of. We had to come back to some normalcy. You know, it still didn't prevent our people from needing certification and other things. And at that point, you just really needed to get back to running your area of the department and, and contributing in that way because the rest of the department had to continue to run. Right. We still had a job to get done. Yes. Right. And yeah. so the class that's in the academy for their recertification on 9-11 still hasn't finished the recertification that's process. Right. That's right. So we have to get back to it before their yeah. certifications expire and they're not allowed to work at all. That's right. We still have an entire city, right, that, yeah. that are still calling for 911 when they need that's an right. ambulance. Yeah. And we still have to respond while mitigating the consequences right. of those two towers coming down. Yeah. On behalf of the FDNY Foundation, we thank you for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. The Foundation and its partners are helping to bring this training initiative into firehouses and EMS stations throughout the five boroughs and beyond. FDNY Pro is the department's professional platform designed for first responders. Learn more about our digital subscriptions, magazines, films, events, 
books, and other programs at fdnyfoundation.org pro. Now, back to the episode. How do you think that this type of experience affects your decision-making now as the chief of EMS? The first thing that hit my head when I got promoted was, are our people ready? Right? We, we're in a different generation. Right. We're in a different environment. So f- for me, it's about preparation. My obligation is to keep those people that I serve safe, trained, ready, capable, mm-hmm. equipped. My job is to make sure that they're ready for anything. Mm-hmm. That is my job. That's how I see it. And I, I think about it every single day. What can I do to get them ready? I have to prepare them for something they've never seen. Right. So I think as a chief of EMS, that's really where my focus is. My focus is on having them, one, understand their role here and how they impact each other, how they impact all of us. Mm-hmm. Two, being ready to respond to something that is so overwhelming, you can only fall back on your training. Right. 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 And making sure that training is able to provide those lessons to those EMTs and medics who are going to be asked to do the hardest things in their lives. Right. And, you know, it's just such a symbol of strength, right, those two towers. Oh, and, yeah. And when you see them fall, it just knocks you to your knees. I didn't believe it. Yeah. When we were on the way yeah. and the word is that the tower is falling, I'm looking and seeing the smoke in the air and saying, what are they talking about? There's right. I don't yeah. see the tower falling. What are they talking about? Just put, puts us at such a vulnerable feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if that can happen, what else can happen? The greatest thing that I remember is how New York pulled together. I thanked them for the blanket that wrapped me in the rain, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yes. we, we pull together. Yes. We have a whole new generation now who will be on the front lines. So we have to never forget. We have to talk about it, teach them the lessons we learned and prepare them for when it's their turn, you know, and I I hope that it never will be, but that's not an emergency service thinking, right? Right. Emergency service thinking is you prepare for the thing you hope never happens. That's right. Yeah. So that's that's what we're doing, and we'll continue to do that. And I think over and over again, it's demonstrated that when we prepare for the worst-case scenario, we are ready for any scenario. That's right. We have very talented and capable first responders. In my heart, I know they will find a way to get through whatever circumstance we face. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what, what does never forget mean to you? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the reason I go down there now is the example of what I believe never forget means, right? So as the chief of the EMS Academy, I have a responsibility to make sure that people understand the gravity of what happened. These people that are coming to work for us now, we're babies, right? They, they, it's just a story to them. Right. And now we need them to connect to the most tragic thing that's hit our department and our city. Right. So we take them on a trip down to the 9-11 memorial mm-hmm. and museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started that yes. as chief of e- yes, uh, I the did, yeah. academy? And now every probationary EMS class goes on a trip down there, and I go with them personally. And we go down there, and we, we are in formation, and we have a ceremony. We lay a wreath And then they go into the museum and they get a 45-minute or so presentation about how EMS contributed, how the FDNY contributed to that day. And then they get to walk around the museum and really take it in. Mm -hmm. And and I have to tell you, it changes them. 
You know, it goes from a story to something being real. But making sure that we're sharing the story of the sacrifice mm-hmm. is what it means to me to say never forget. Right. You know, we'll, we'll keep that alive forever. And I'm sure the EMS Academy, at least as long as I'm the chief of EMS, will continue to make those trips down there and talk about the people who made the supreme sacrifice. Talk about the people who are continuing to lose their lives in this battle 18, 20 years later. They get to know their names. They get to know their stories. Mm -hmm. They get to know their faces. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we we took a tremendous loss as a department. Right. But we took a tremendous loss as a city. And I think it's just part of our city fabric now. There aren't many of us left in the fire department, particularly on the EMS side, who experienced that firsthand. So we have an obligation to make sure that these stories go forward. But I'll tell you, every time I go down there, I smell it. Do you? Every time. You know, the most profound thing about responding to 9-11 and living through the experience of it taught me is what post-traumatic stress really means. Yeah. Right? Where you literally are transported back in time, to yeah. that moment, to that day, to the experience. You're talking about the odors in the air that came a couple of days later. And I know I mean, it's there was not a, really guess, there. No, it's not. But it's, well, now it's not, right? It's, it's as noticeable for me as if it's I'm there right. first time. I'll tell you one thing I did learn from it is not to sweat the little things, right? You, know, you just never know when your day's going to come to an end. Like, like you said, it was a beautiful, quiet, sunny, gorgeous day. And people went to work thinking they were coming back home. So those little things that you sweat about, you know, your family life and who did what to who and, you know, what building get paid or what, you know, those little things that drive you crazy, nothing shakes me anymore. I find a positive in everything. I'm, I'm definitely somebody who appreciates my everyday, mm-hmm. particularly because people around me who I was standing next to are no longer here now. Right. And they didn't die on that day. They died years later. Right. right? And we continue to lose those people, which means someday it's going to be my turn. And as long as it's not, I'm going to do the best I can for what I can, mm-hmm. right? And be as positive as I can. In so many ways, it feels like it was just yesterday. And don't you notice that time on your clock every day? Yes. Don't you see that more often? I do. When you look down and it's 9-11? Like, that, that becomes so obvious to me over the years, you know. 343 jumps out at me mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah. Are there any other experiences you have? So you have these flashbacks to the yeah. odor in the air. I think the thing that, like, sticks in my head is when we first got down there, mm-hmm. those humongous buildings, two yeah. of them, and we get down there and there is no furniture. I know, right? No computers, no glass, mm-hmm. no anything recognizable except yeah. steel, yeah. right? There's, there's just nothing. You would think... Steel and dust. Like, you would think all these desks and, uh, yeah. you know, file phones cabinets. and file cabinets and all the stuff that are in a building that you would expect to see those, and there weren't any. I don't know how, how brave those folks are that went in to try to save as many as they could. And, can, and, and you know, just the people who got out because of them. Right. 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 So there are plenty yeah. of people who did get yeah. out. They saved thousands. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave up their lives, but they saved thousands. It doesn't get more honorable than that. It sure does. Right? There's a great poem, right? It's called The Dash, right? And it talks about what you do in between your date of birth and your date of death. And that's really what it is. Like, what are you doing in between 
because you never know when that end date's going to be uh, rolling around. Right. So make the most of it, right? Make sure your family knows they, you love them and, like, make the most of that dash. Do the stuff you like doing, you know. Be kind to people because that might be the last thing they remember of you. Live the dash in a good way. Make a difference in somebody else's life. That's how you live forever. That's how we never forget. Chief Bonsignor, it's always a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to fdnyfoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.